So today, we're going to take our opening verse from the verse that we've been looking at for the last several weeks, just that couple of verses from James 1, and then we're going to be going into Philippians today. Over the last several sermons, we've been looking at joy, and we began... I know it's maybe about a month ago now by looking at this passage from James 1 that deals with trials and the testing of our faith. And, and, and I know probably the, the words of James is even now echoing in your ears as he would say, count it all joy. So verses 2 and 3 in James 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, in the midst of the truth of Your Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, minister to us. Lord, You know the need of every heart that is here, and You can minister in particular to every need and every circumstance that everyone here is facing. So Lord, help us to learn today what it is to count it all joy and how we might do that as a born-again believer. So Father, help us. Keep us from distractions. Lord, just, just guard my tongue this day. Help us to see Christ above all else. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I kind of looked at at my notes from the the past sermons. I don't think we we gave a definition for biblical joy. And I would just ask this, is is biblical joy the same as happiness? No. No, it's not. Happiness, and I know you've probably heard many sermons or many preachers that talks about talks about joy and happiness, and you might uh, have a better way of understanding this than what I'm getting ready to say. But it seems to me that happiness is based on our emotional response to our current circumstances, which are varied and ever-changing. Is that a decent way to put that? Happiness is based upon our emotional response. It gets our emotions involved, I believe to our current circumstances, which are varied and ever-changing. See, if we like our current circumstance that we are in, then we may be and quite possibly should be happy. And, and if we don't like our current circumstances, we might find ourselves unhappy or sorrowful or a multitude of other emotions based on Changing circumstances. James says various trials. And and, and again, you've heard sermons, I'm sure, on this. We preached it uh, before. Various trials, variegated, multicolored, many different kinds and types of trials. And we know that Peter used that same term, various trials. Let's go ahead and read it. I believe we've read it probably during every sermon Uh, the last few weeks in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice. 
Count it all joy. Rejoice. Quite often in Scripture, it's taken from the same root word, kar. And so, joy, kara, rejoice, karos, if I'm saying it right. In this you greatly rejoice. And, and I was reading, and again, I, I'm not a Greek scholar, and so I take from other writers and, and other commentaries, and, and, and I just glanced at MacArthur this morning, and, and, and on that greatly rejoice, it, it, was, it was like it was compounded to rejoice at an even greater and higher level. In this you greatly rejoice, and we're going to talk about that a little more in a moment. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by, and here it is, various trials. Trials of many different kinds. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James says, count it all joy. Peter says, greatly rejoice. Now, biblical joy, I believe, is gratitude or thanksgiving that is based on unchangeable outcomes, facts, or conditions. So I believe joy, this joy, this biblical joy, is based upon the grace of God. That this joy is an awareness of God's grace. That joy is grace recognized. And this joy is based upon knowing that I'm saved. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. You know it, we read it so often. Let me ask you, do I preach the same sermon over and over? I think I do. I think I do. Talk about the grace of God. Talk about knowing Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, and that not of yourselves. I've got two versions here. I got ESV here, and we got in. Let me read in New King James. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Being saved, born again, born of God, an irrevocable transaction wrought by God. Amen? An irrevocable transaction wrought by God, it is unchangeable for those who are truly born again. Not those who are the seed that, that, that was planted on the various different grounds that looked or appeared to spring up for just a moment and then fall away. That was not a true saving faith. But true saving faith is wrought by God, irrevocable. And so for the born-again believer, joy should be consistent in our life. Biblical joy. The joy of the Lord. Consistent through the various trials that we face. Joy, this joy, comes from being rooted in grace. Being rooted in grace produces a life of gratitude and thanksgiving. Gratitude for what He has done. He has saved me. Gratitude for what is to come. Again, Piper would say future grace, forever being with Him in His presence. And then regardless of what happens in the in-between, 
of our salvation, our, our being saved and, and being with Him in glory, that that's in the middle is, is where we're at right now, is it not? That's life. That's living. And during this period, in between being saved and are dying, are being in glory with Him during this present life I'm living, regardless of what happens to me on this earth, I'm still saved, and I'm still going to be with Him forever. Unchangeable conditions. Peter said what we read earlier, in this you greatly rejoice. Now, what what is he talking about? In this you greatly Well, he's talking about what he just said. So let's go back and see what he was saying in this you greatly rejoice in. Let's go back and read verses 3 through 6 in 1 Peter. And this is what I believe that Peter was referring to in this, in this fact, in this knowing as a born-again believer, rejoice, greatly rejoice. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are being kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. In this fact, rejoice that we are being kept by the power of God, Rejoice that we are secure in Him, secure in His hands. We read up probably quite often John 10, verse 27 through 29, where Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. See, it's, it's good to know Jesus, but it's better that He knows us, you see. My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. This is the true believer. Sheep. The true sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My my brothers and sisters, the ones the Father has given to me, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them what? Eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. That, that's why I, I, I can say with all confidence that, that, that being born again, born of God is an irrevocable act of God. Because once we are in His hands, there is nothing, there is nothing that can separate us from Him. That, that's a glorious thought, is it not? I hope it is to you. Rejoice that we are secure in Him. And may I have joy in this life that I'm living. May I have joy when this life is over and I'm in His presence. Now, now let's go to Philippians 1. Philippians 1. I believe as, as Paul was in prison and he was contemplating his life, and I believe contemplating his what he quite possibly thought that every day death was coming to him. And this is said in, in Philippians 1, we're just going to read verses 20 and 21. 
according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always so, now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, Paul didn't know God's plan for him at the moment, other than him being in prison. He didn't know if he was going to live. He didn't know if he was going to die. And if we would take these two verses and collapse them down to looking at Paul as, as I believe is contemplating his possible death, Christ will be magnified in my body by death for to me to die is gain. Now, I hope you see how I, I, it's paraphrased there. I took the verses and, and focused on just that, just that part for a moment. Christ will be magnified in my body, and he said by life, but also by death, for to me to die is gain. Gain. Now, how often have you thought about this passage of the Apostle Paul? Gain. But, but what about all the things of this earth? When we die, all earthly things for us are gone. Things that I love and enjoy for me when I die will be gone upon my death. For me, family, gone. Until resurrection. See, there, there's the hope. You see, for, for those left behind, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we know resurrection power, you see. But, but for, the, for me, for that moment, family, gone. For me, if, if I would be gone today, this church, to me, would be gone. Everything of this earth, hobbies. Showed you a picture of my old car. Uh, I, I love getting in that old car. I love just to drive around. It just it just takes me back. It makes me happy. But that gone. All all the possessions, all the things gone. Everything gone. And the list of losses upon death is enormous, really, when you look at it. Of all the things of earth gone. And yet Paul uses one word to describe it: gain. For me to die is gain. And, and then he explains it in verses 22 and 23. Let's read. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. Now, now let me pause here for a minute. Now, now, the Apostle Paul is not saying that he's going to choose one or the other. It's not him to choose. Our, our life is in God's hands. I believe it's what, he's, what he is saying is, God has not yet revealed to me of which this will be. For I am hard-pressed between the two. But, but Between the, the two what? Between the thought of living and the thought of dying. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two because I believe he's contemplating. 
If I live, if I get out of this, I believe he, he is he is thinking of, of what he's going to do and where he's going to go and, and the ministry that to others in the midst of this. And then perhaps in the in, in the midst of it, he's thinking, but if if they come and they take me to the gallows today, I know it will be gain for me. I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Get this, which is better. Which is better. Far better. Better than what? Everything. Everything. If we could comprehend that, I believe we would begin to get a glimpse of joy. And of what James was saying, count it all joy when you're in the midst of various trials because we know this world is not our final resting place. Our citizenship is in heaven and that brings joy upon our death as a born again believer we lose everything that this world holds but we gain Christ oh we have him here we have the holy spirit in us but we gain Christ to be in his presence and this is far better and this is the root basis for joy living knowing that regardless of the various ongoing trials that I face, I have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for me, and in this I greatly rejoice. So I would ask, do I, or do we, children of God, live our lives with this in mind? Do we treasure Christ in our living more than everything else this world holds or offers to us? Paul said to live as Christ. And it should be the same for every born again child of God to, to live as Christ, to live and bear fruit for Him that in everything that I would say and do, that He would be honored, that He would be glorified, that He would be magnified. Remember what Paul said, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So we, we live and magnify Christ because we know what lies at the end of this life gain. We get Christ face to face in his presence, and that is joy. Joy inexpressible joy unspeakable, and full of glory. Now I want to read a quote. I've got a couple from John Piper. I've been reading and listening to Piper messages and, and things. Probably I got introduced to him about 15 years ago. He was Before then, he was not in my circle at all. And, and if you've followed John throughout his ministry and his life, you know that the focus of his ministry is joy. Is joy. So, so let me read. Quote, 
I believe Paul is saying that Christ is shown to be magnificent in our dying when we experience Him as more satisfying than all the pleasures that life in this world could give. Or to state it as my life motto, Christ is most magnified in me when I am most satisfied in Him, especially through suffering and death. I came to realize that God's passion to be glorified and my passion to be satisfied were not alternatives. Now, now don't, don't lose me here. Uh, I want to read that again. Consider this. Think about this. I came to realize that God's passion to be glorified and my passion to be satisfied were not alternatives, not two opposing things. Paul said, Christ is magnified not instead of my being satisfied in Him, but by means of my being satisfied in Him. My satisfaction in Christ above all this world at the point of suffering and death is what makes Him look magnificent. Therefore, my pursuit of satisfaction, my pursuit of happiness, is not just permitted It is mandatory because glorifying God is mandatory. And you cannot glorify God in your heart if your heart does not find God more satisfying than everything else. What do you think of that? You cannot glorify God in your heart if your heart does not find God more satisfying than everything else. It's quite a statement, end quote. Where do I find my satisfaction in life? I would ask you the same thing. Matthew 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Becoming a Christian not only means receiving faith, believing truth, but I believe it also means Finding a treasure. And again, let me go back to Piper. Quote, Conversion is the miracle that the Holy Spirit works in your life so that you taste and see that Christ is more to be desired than anything in this world. John 1, 12. Got that there. John 1, 12, I think. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. Believing Jesus is receiving Him. As what? Savior? Yes. Lord? Yes. But also as the infinitely valuable treasure that He is. Faith is seeing and savoring Christ as your supreme treasure. And so the lifelong good fight of faith is a fight for joy 
a fight to see and savor Jesus as more valuable than anything in the world. End quote. So, so and, and there's where we, we take stock, we, we take inventory, we, we look at ourselves and what are we treasuring? What am I treasuring? What is our greatest treasure? Talk to the fight of, fight of faith. What's, what's the fight? Paul said a fight for faith. And I, I believe a fight to keep our focus on things above and not of this world. To, to not get distracted by lesser things. To treasure the Lord above all things and at all times. In Jeremiah 2 verse 13, what, what was the evil that, that God's people had done? For my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken Him. The fountain of living waters. And what did they do? What did they do? They, they hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So it seems that Jeremiah is saying that, that evil is having a preference for the empty wells of the world over the living waters of God's fellowship. So may we pursue and seek our satisfaction in our greatest treasure, Jesus. And I know I can stand up here and I can say that. And we would all nod our head. Yep, yep, yep. That's, that's right. I need to do that. And then we just go out and continue on. Huh. The things of this world. You know, we sang the song, Knowing You. And I'm sure the writer of that song had in mind Philippians, the third chapter. Because let me ask you this. What of all the things that Paul possessed on this earth? Th think, of, think of his credentials. Think of his education. Think of his status. Think of his worldly possessions. And what did Paul say of those things? Let, let's read it. Let's remind ourselves. Philippians 3, verse 7 through 11. What things were gained to me. And again, you could go and read all of those things that, that Paul talked about. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He, 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 he was working his way to the top, so to speak. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss. All things Loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. See, joy for the true born-again believer is rock solid. See, joy is a part of who we are, is it not? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Let, let, let's go to it and read it then. Galatians 5, verse 22. Let's read down through 26. 
Every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit in them. Yes? And the evidence that we have the Holy Spirit is that we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so, verses 22 through 26, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Uh, I like how the ESV puts it. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May we not become conceited. Did the Apostle Paul have become conceited? Can we? Perhaps boasting of our abilities or the things that we possess. And it says, may we not provoke one another or envy one another. Well, what is envy? Well, it's, it's envying what others possess. And if we show envy, are we exhibiting gratitude? You know, one of the writers, I don't know who it was, talked about that that envy is the arrow that just shoots right through gratitude. If you have envy, your focus is off. If you're consumed with looking at what others have, and you're not satisfied with where the Lord has you, then your focus is off. Your focus is in the wrong place. And so what do we do? We look to Jesus. <laughs> the author and finisher of our faith, we look to Jesus, the redeemer of our soul. We look to Jesus, our greatest treasure. And if we can do that, we will have joy. Joy in the midst of various trials. Joy in times of suffering and joy even in death. Remember, joy comes from being rooted in grace. And being rooted in grace produces gratitude. Gratitude for what He has done. He has saved me. And gratitude for what He is currently doing, keeping me, holding me by His great power. And gratitude for that which is yet to come, which is to leave this world and be forever in glory with Him, which is gain. Again, the difference between happiness and joy. When people aren't happy, it's usually because of their present circumstances that they don't like. But when people aren't joyful, it's because they have forgotten to be grateful for the grace which they have received. See the difference? 
If you're not happy, it's because of your circumstance and you're just not happy with it. But if you're not joyful, that's an indication that your focus is in the wrong place. Do you see now why, why James could say, count it all joy? Because we have a great treasure in Christ and we have something greater awaiting us in His presence. In His presence. In His very presence. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, in His presence and only there alone will we be fully and eternally satisfied. Only there will we find joy even in the midst of trials. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I just pray that You would make Your truth known. Lord, it's not going to be by my words. It's not going to be by my persuasive talking, but by Your Spirit and by the truth of Your Word, I pray that you would reveal to all of us of what joy is. And that we can have deep-seated joy at all times. Even in the midst of sorrow, we can be joyful in knowing that we are saved. And that we have an, an inheritance reserved in heaven. That even in times of, of pain and, and, and grief and, and any trial, the, the many various trials that come, we can have rock-solid joy because our joy is not based on changing circumstance. Our joy is based on the rock-solid truth that we are born again that Christ is Lord. So Father, help us in the times of trials to not be consumed by emotion, but in in time and in Your way and in Your patience and long-suffering, You will remind us, You will remind us during those trials that You are faithful and that You have a plan and that, that, Father, we are to just trust You and rest in You. For in Your presence is fullness of joy. And, and Father, if there's someone that's struggling, Lord, help them to see Christ. Help them, help them to rest in You. Help them in the midst of their trial, whatever it may be that they're going through. Help them not to be consumed by the trial, but Lord, help them to grow. Help them to know that their faith is real and genuine. Help them to know that joy is real and is solid. And Father, this can only come to those who are truly born again. 
that, that the fruit of the Spirit that is within them is love and joy and all the others. So Father, if there should be one who is listening to this sermon who is yet lost, I, I pray that by Your mercy and by Your grace that You would perform a miracle of salvation that only You can do. That You would draw them close to Yourself. That You would shine light into a dark place. That, that You would reveal their sin and, and show them Your holiness. And Lord, let there be a brokenness over sin. And Father, show them the rescue for sinners. Show them the cross. Show them the shed blood of Jesus Christ that can wash away their sins. And Father, grant them faith to believe. Grant them repentance as they would confess their sins and turn and follow Christ, believing and receiving Him. So Father, help us all to look to You and put our focus upon You and our focus upon Christ, the greatest treasure. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.